Hey, everybody. Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever you are. Welcome to another edition of the Anything But Typical podcast. We're so glad to have you, and we're really glad to have Matt Anderson. He's gotten out of the jury box. I, I didn't know if I'd ever see him again. I'm so glad that he is out. <laughs> and so uh, we'll dive into his uh, story. It's really fun, and uh, I know I'm going to learn even more things uh, from this, too. But here's the scenario, Matt. You and your wife have got sitters for the kids. This is not going to be just uh, you know, a family mountain bike ride. You're going to your favorite place in Pisgah National Forest. You have just taken that green Scott mountain bike off the, the rack, and uh, you're, you guys are getting ready to roll. And somebody sees you and goes, oh, that's the famous Matt Anderson. And they are talking about you, but they don't realize that you can overhear everything that they're saying about you. What is it that you would like somebody to say about you, Matt? That is a, a good question, Gary. And, and let me start just by saying I appreciate being on this podcast. Uh, I, you, I've known you've been doing this for a while and been really energetic to get on here. So I'm happy to be here. Uh, pondered this one quite a bit. Um, I think what I would want somebody to say about me is that, that, that he was being his authentic self. Um, I, I, I look at the industry that I'm in. I look at my life. I'm, I'm a kid that grew up in the 90s listening to grunge music, mountain biking. I, I was happier in the woods than I was with people. Happy to be isolated and be by myself, to, to be moved into an industry of, of intellectuals, high achievers, um, probably more conservative that, than I am. So uh, I think, you know, the thing that I would want people to really say is, man, he's being himself. Um, and, and I think really the, the journey over the past few years is, is rediscovering who I am um, and, and finding, falling back in love with some of those passions, like, like riding mountain bikes and camping and, and really pushing the limits of, of what I can do. Love it. So Good to have you on here. Before we jump in to the actual conversation, Matt, I want to let the listeners know a little bit, at least, of who you are. So Matt's a director at BGW CPA, and prior to that, he owned his own firm for, it was about eight years uh, prior to uh, being acquired and coming into BGW. So I want to take you back to December of 2012 when you're, you're starting your own CPA firm. You've been working for other firms for years want to know what led to the decision for you to to make that change and start working for yourself and create your own firm it was a tough one um my my daughter was born uh at the end of, of 2010 i had uh been working for a gentleman for about three or four years and basically he he brought me into the practice under the premise that i was his exit plan um so basically started as a you know a paper pusher, senior accountant, and basically through time, he let me pretty much run the entire practice. So from hiring and firing and training to reviewing, you know, tax returns to direct client interaction, consulting, tax planning, he, he pushed my evolution along with the hopes that, that eventually I would be the, the person that, that bought him out. Um, there, what I ran into is the barriers to buy in continued to grow. So as every hurdle he put in front of me, I would achieve it quicker than he expected. So the hurdle would get moved. 
So by 2011, I had actually started looking, working with business brokers to, to look at acquiring a firm. Um, what, I, what I ran into is really a lot of the, the firms that I was looking at, the, the CPA that was transitioning out was considerably older than I am because I would have been late 20s at this stage. So we're talking 65, 70-year-old CPAs that are retiring. And what concerned me about the client base was everybody's retired. So you were buying a client base that uh, would not last the, the, the term of my career. So uh, kind of fast forward into 2012, um, the guy that I was working for decided that he would sell. And he sold the practice without me having the opportunity to be a buyer. And at that point, you know, I, I said, all right, I can't find any other CPA firms that I want to buy. I'm going to buy something else. So my wife and I started exploring what are the other options. Um, and we, you know, we looked at, <laughs> we wanted to run a tilapia farm. Um, I looked at buying a map printing business. Uh, I, I started looking at all these, these business ventures. And uh, I talked to the people that were going to acquire the firm. And one of the gentlemen asked me how I was doing with the transition. And there were some things that they weren't filling me in on. And I said, I'm not doing great at it. And uh, he said, if, if you're not happy, go float your resume. So I, I turned in my resignation. And when the transaction went through, that was, that was technically my last day. And I continued looking for what I wanted to do when I grew up for about three or four months. And the cool part is uh, I had set up a LinkedIn profile way back in the day, and I had my cell phone number on it. And cell phones started to ring. And clients started coming to me that were at that practice that, that wanted me to continue to work with them. So the, the evolution was just natural. I needed a computer and a desk and tax software, and I could, I could be an entrepreneur and I could start building my own practice. So by the, you know, by the middle of, of 2012, I think I had enough revenue that could support the business going forward. So uh, that's, that's what I did. That was the choice I made. <laughs> And then the, the rest is history, as they say. The uh, <clears throat> the accidental entrepreneur. Yes, <laughs> I, I knew I knew I was going down a path to. I needed to do something on my own. Um, it, that was a calling. That there was no doubt in my mind. I had to do this on my own. So whether it was growing fish in an indoor warehouse or it was preparing tax returns and helping business owners, it, it was going to be something on my own. So this was something you put in your resignation you were, this wasn't a plan, right? You weren't planning on, on doing this. People just started reaching out. So what were some of those initial hurdles you had as you started trying to get this firm up and running? The, I mean, the, the good news is, is a service-based firm, the capital is not intensive. Right. Um, I think one of the hurdles that, that, that I ran into is my son was then born uh, like a week or two after I started the business. So now I had two kids under the age of two, Luckily, my wife had a good job. Um, she was able to support the household while I went out and started this crazy venture. You know, I think a lot of lessons learned. Um, you know, one of the things that I ran into is there was a, a poorly written non-compete, non-solicitation agreement that we never got to the lawyer stage, but there, there were some issues around that. But, but I honored, the, I, from, from my perspective, I honored the agreement. Clients reached out to me and I even told a lot of them, hey, look, I, I don't even know what I'm doing yet. So let's let's not have the conversation. 
but it, at least that initial phase, it was just, you know, some of the legal mumbo jumbo that you have to get through. But luckily the, you know, the working capital requirement wasn't significant. Um, but I'd say once, <laughs> once I got through the first tax season, it dawned on me, I like to grow businesses. And uh, when you double revenue in like six months, it becomes hard to uh, get all the work done. <laughs> so by 2013, I was, I was at a stage that I needed to hire somebody, but I couldn't afford them. You know, the $40,000, $50,000 salary, we, we couldn't afford it. Uh, so one of the biggest challenges that I ran into is when do you pull the trigger? And, and as a new business, you couldn't get financing. So I had to look at other sources. How do I, how do I finance this new hire? Because I can't keep doing what I'm doing. If I double revenue again, there's no way that I'm going to be able to handle this. So within the first 12 months, I had to hire a new person and, uh, that, (laughs) that was a challenge in itself. (laughs) So what, uh, what did you end up having to do there? Because that's a difficult decision that a lot of newer business owners are faced with, right? So did you end up going in and getting some sort of loan or were you able to go to family and friends? Did you push it off long enough to be able to afford it? What decision did you make there? It was brutal. Um, I went into the bank and, and thought, you know, I have the cash to afford a working capital line of credit. They can see my financials. You know, we, we are profitable. I, j- I just need to get over this hump. Uh, basically learned that as an entrepreneur and a business owner in your first few years, you are scum to a bank. You have, yeah. you have no credit. Even if you got a million dollars in the bank, you're, you're not going to get financing. So I went the friends and family route and, and ended up borrowing about, I think it was about $30,000 um, from my parents to, to, to get that first hire. Yeah. My goal was to pay it off as soon as I possibly could. And I think I had it paid off within a year, um, but I had to go the friends and family route. It was the, it was the only alternative that, that I had to, to make that hire. Yep. So I'm just, I'm thinking about our history and we'll talk a little bit more about that because I think it's pretty funny and it's uh, an interesting, but knowing what I know about you and about a lot of people in our industry, one, you even mentioned that you like writing <laughs> out in nature more than being with people, but yet we're in a people business and entrepreneurism um, is not for the faint of heart. It involves risk. And if you look at most CPAs, they're pretty high on the S and the C side of the DISC profile, and they are pretty risk averse. So I want to know a little bit more like, so you've got this thing that's in you where, you know, you've got this entrepreneurial itch, you want to build something. So you're not typical, right? I mean, none of us are, quite frankly, that's why we do this podcast, but um, so you've got that moving with you, but, and you're also an introvert, but you got to deal with people. So how do you reconcile that? You know, it's one thing if you're doing a tilapia farm or you're doing a map printing business, which is a good thing you did get into the map printing business. I'm just saying. <laughs> so walk us through some of that. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, risk doesn't bother me. Um, as, as I kind of alluded to, I, I like more adventure sports, uh, a huge mountain biker. I've been a mountain biker pretty much all my, all my life. And, uh, I think the bigger, the risk, the better, the more adrenaline that you get pumping. I, I just, I, I love that. And, and I'd say as, as I've gone down this, this journey over the past few years, 
you know, my wife's really into it. The kids are into it. And one of the things is at the ripe age of 40, I want to learn how to dirt jump. So that's one of my goals is I'm going to be riding a bike and I'm going to be clearing six, 12 foot gaps. That is what I want to do. Not, not something you would hear from a normal CPA. Um, so, so the risk doesn't bother me because the bet that I'm making is in myself. I, I, one of the, I guess one of my superpowers is I'm tenacious. I may not be the smartest guy in the room, but I'm going to work until my fingers are bleeding and I'm going to keep working harder and I'm going to continue to keep learning. So an investment in myself is never a risk. The, the introvert side, um, I, I, I'm definitely an introvert, but I think the way that I balance that is working with my clients. I have empathy for what they're going through. And I want to be able to provide the tools that can help them be successful, that's going to help them achieve their goals. So I think it's the, the, the empathy and knowing what they're going through, knowing that struggle, knowing I've got to make payroll and I don't know where the money's going to come from. I've, I've got to take this next step in my business. Being able to be a guide and help them through that is, is really what drives me. So I want to piggyback off of that a little bit because earlier you had talked about how much you liked growing businesses, right? So there's many different aspects when you're a business owner, right? Especially in the service industry, there's client facing stuff and then there's the back end. Um, what about the balance there of doing the actual client, uh, the client facing work, the interaction with your employee as you hire that person, things like that versus the vision of the actual company? How do you balance those two to get your fulfillment for both? And that may lead into some of the discussion as we go forward. Uh, but an interesting thing, you know, Gary and I have, have been in communication for years and he ran me through a thrive wither exercise and, and, and I blame him for this is really looking at, you know, what, what lights you up and makes you move forward and, and what doesn't. And I would say is that the evolution of my firm, as it continued to grow, I, I do like the growth aspect of it, but I think where I wasn't being true to myself is what did I want the firm to be? I think as I reflect back on, on really what did I want it to be, I, I wanted it to be a lifestyle business, but I'm damn good at growing a business. So I was stuck in this conundrum that to grow, I've got to become good at the things that I don't want to do. And I think as I look at what the business model that I built, it was a growth business. I had to get good at managing the people and doing that. And I think, you know, going through the Thrive Wither exercise kind of leads to, to how I ended up at BGW is, is the things that I didn't want to do, which is managing the people, getting the tax returns out, more of the logistics side is the part that just, it just made me wither. And the piece that lights me up is put me in front of a client, let, let me help them solve their problems. Let's work through these issues. Let's continue to grow this business. That part's the thing that lights me up. And that's what made really the transition to BGW great is the stuff that, that I hated. It, it, it's something I don't have to deal with. Right. And I can focus on the stuff that I love. So before we get into BGW, Gary, I want to kick it back to you because you were telling me before this podcast, a story of you getting referred to Matt. So can you take yeah. us through that real quick? Yeah, I love this. You know, it's just so funny. Um, when we moved back here to Charlotte in 2015, um, shortly thereafter, my uh, CPA retired up in Ohio. And so I was asking around because a lot of people didn't want to take individuals anymore. I wasn't running a business and my, I didn't have K1s, you know, at the wazoo anymore and all that kind of stuff. So it was pretty simple. 
but you couldn't find a lot of people that wanted to do individuals. So I talked to Don Mingus and he's like, you need to talk to Matt Anderson. So you and I got together at Starbucks, <laughs> my favorite Starbucks in South Park. And, um, and we just hit it off, you know, I was like, man, this is great. But what was so cool was you're like, man, I would love to take you, but I am just focusing on businesses, business owners, active businesses. And I was disappointed that you weren't going to take me on as a client, but I loved the singular focus on, I know who I'm serving and I'm going to stick to it because a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs that are needing business and whatever, they say that this is their target. But then when something outside of the target presents itself, they get weak in the knees and they buckle and they take it. And the problem is, is their entire staff goes, well, you don't, your word doesn't mean anything. You know, you're just opportunistic, but I loved your resolve. So talk to us a little bit about that. Like, what was the point at that moment where you said, nope, I'm working with privately held businesses and their owners, and that's it, whether anybody else comes or not. Like, what was that? What caused that shift for you? So I think, Gary, you were the first person that was referred to me that I actually said no to. Um, so that was one of the hardest no's I've ever done. Um, I, I think it would have been, if, if you would have called me in 2015, it would have been it, it, in 2014, we as a group had come to the conclusion that, that servicing entrepreneurs and businesses was the best route. We had ended up doing... I think in 14, maybe six, 700 tax returns. And, and you look at it and, and we were just basically a transaction shop. We, we just took your stuff. We prepared a return. We pushed it out. I think what I see in this industry and what I saw then is there's going to come a point of reckoning where a lot of this transactional work is going to be done by robots or outsourced. So by robots, I mean software. And I think we're already leading to that way with a lot of the changes that have already taken place. Most, most individuals, their returns can, the data can be sucked in from the internet and you basically have a tax return. So I saw the writing on the wall is, is that a lot of the automation that's going to be coming down the pipeline is going to be heavily focused on just getting this transactional work done. And I wanted to get ahead of the curve. But the other other piece of the pie is, you know, at, at that stage, I've been doing this for two or three years on my own and had a lot of battle scars. And I wanted to share that with with other business owners. Um, what I'm good at is, is finance. I understand numbers. I understand accounting. I'm, I'm able to analyze that data, provide feedback and make suggestions for clients to help them move forward. So part of it was to, to fulfill, you know, kind of my passion and my purpose is to help entrepreneurs and business owners move their business forward. But also, it's, it's what I see in the industry. I knew that we had to do that. So, Gary, it was the hardest no I've ever had to say, <laughs> I think I ever had to say because it was the first one. But it led us down a path that within, I think, a year, we had cut our, our return count down to about 200. We, we parted ways with, with a lot of our individual clients, and, and we got them in a good with another CPA. We got them taken care of. Um, but it really let us focus on, on really serving a specific niche of clients and really trying to drive value to that client base. So I want to add and just go a little bit deeper on one of those things about that. You, you said, uh, 
so beyond the reading the tea leaves of, hey, you know, this market's going to change. I don't think that was all your your thought process. And for, forgive me if I'm making a presumption, but you said something earlier that that really resonated with me was you said something about you had empathy for business owners because you have had to cut your own salary to make payroll. Each of us have, you know, I think between the three of us, we have run at least eight businesses between the three of us, <laughs> something like that. So that's pretty cool. But talk to us a little bit about that side beyond the, hey, I see the tea leaves and this is where the wind's blowing or whatever. You know, I want to hear more about that, that heartbeat. <clears throat> okay. And it's it, running your own business is, is the most isolating and, and one of the, I mean, it, to be honest with you, it's one of the most challenging things that I've ever done in my life. Um, I have three undergraduate degrees. I'm a licensed CPA. That was cakewalk compared to running your own business. The, it, just the, the, the learning curve, the, the battle scars, the mistakes that you make, the, the I mean, really the, the things that you have to wrestle with internally and you have to do it all on your own. Um, and, and, and you've got to work through all the mental stuff that goes on running your own business. And, you know, really, I, I look at that entrepreneurs and business owners, they're my brothers and sisters. I mean, we, we've gone through the battles, we've seen the trenches and it's brutal. And it's nice to have people on your team that have empathy, that, that know where you've been, that, that understand what sleepless nights are like, understand wh what it's like to hire and fire people, um, understand what it's to have your personal reputation tarnished because an employee didn't like something that you did. And, uh, you know, that being able to bring that to the table and, and I know where you've been and I know how painful this is. If I can help make it easier just from an analytical perspective to help you process a decision, it, it, hopefully I give you an extra 15 minutes of sleep. And, and again, I, you know, I look at it, this community is, is, is my brothers and sisters. I mean, we, we've gone into battle, we're not doing it together, but we're, we're in the battle and we, it's, it's very similar for all of us. And I'm just happy to help where I can. And, and, and I've got the empathy to know that pain where a lot of accountants, it's just a spreadsheet. To me, it's not a spreadsheet. I mean, it, it, it takes an emotional toll. It takes a physical toll uh, to, to grow a business. So as we keep moving <clears throat> and we start talking a little bit now about how you got into BGW, there's, there's two things that really stand out for me, right? The difference between an acquisition and a sale. A sale, you have to build enough value in your company for somebody to be interested in, in buying you, right? But an acquisition means, in this case, especially that you also created enough value as yourself as an individual for a company to want you to be a part of what they're doing, right? It wasn't just the business you built. It was also what you did as an individual. So I want to hit on each of those probably separately. So the first one with the company, as you're growing the company, did you have selling the business or, or getting acquired by somebody, did you have that in your mind as you were building and growing the company? I mean, I think everybody does because there's, there's always an end. 
Um, mm -hmm. You know, is it is it tomorrow or is it 40 years from now? I mean, there's there's always an end to it. So <laughs> whether you transition out or your 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 kids transition in when you part ways with the earth, you're you're eventually going to get out of it. Um, you know, I. I can't really answer it um, except for the fact that the you know there were there were a series of events that, that kind of happened as as we went into 2020 um, that made me do a lot of self-reflection and and kind of and, and start to figure out really who I am um, and and where do I fit within this business and and again I go back to kind of the things you know I think what my intent was was to build a lifestyle business I build a growth business it would it, it I kind of lost track of what the true intent was. And I think after, you know, self-reflection, um, there were some pretty big changes in 2019. And then as we went through the, the, the COVID phase, I really had to look at what are the things that, that just make me light up when I'm doing this? And then what are the things that just make me wither that want to run and hide? And I'll be honest, it, I mean, I got to the point where I, I would have sold. Um, it, it just, the, the wither outweighed the thrive yeah. towards the end. And, uh, you know, I, I was in a decision that do you continue to grow, which means I had to I had to do some more acquisitions, I had to hire more people, or do I look for another solution that 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 can get me focused on the things that I love doing. Yeah. And then on your side of it, the the personal development piece, how did you prioritize that while also still running a business to be able to have yourself keep growing it as a professional? That has been a, I mean, it's, it's a constant struggle. Um, I, I'll, I'll say uh, at the end of 2019, uh, I, I hit some, I won't say rock bottom, but I hit some pretty dark spots in my life. And uh, one of the things I had, uh, I had become pretty, pretty dependent on booze and so beer to get through and cope with things. And in November of 2019, I decided that, that, that I had hit my limit and, and I was done there. So as, as we went into the COVID phase, I had a lot of clarity from, you know, not drinking every night. You start to get clarity and start having the time to, to, to really reflect, reflect on life. And, um, you know, I'd say as, as we went into COVID, one of the blessings for me is I got to eat dinner with my family, which I hadn't done in seven years. We, we got time to get out and explore and ride our bikes and hike. And I, and I think that evolution from getting to clarity for not being dependent on a substance to then moving into the clarity of, of 2020, kind of really opening my eyes to say, you know, what are the things that you love, Matt? And, and, and let's start to, to dig into those. So, um, you know, really that's, that's the evolution. And the way that I do it now, um, I love to read. So, I mean, I, I, you know, try to read as much as I can podcast, uh, love listening to, to podcasts. And, you know, when I'm working out, I'm, I'm going through a podcast. If I'm driving, I'm listening to a podcast. So it's, it's the continued evolution there. And I think one of the big things that I started in 2021 was, was journaling and working through the stuff in my head. And it's, it's not that, that it really helped get any clarity, but the clarity comes back from looking at what you've written and you start to see common themes of like, holy cow, you know, I'm starting to see this is why I struggle because, you know, I found X, Y, and Z through the journaling. So it's something that, that um, I took up in, in 2021. I've, I've tried meditation and <laughs> that, that doesn't work for me, but the journaling has been, has been huge. So, you know, I'd say from, from 2019, it's, it's been a, it's been a tough path working towards it, but 
but now I'm starting to get a framework that, that I can continue to work off and, and really continue to figure out who I am. So I want to jump in, and I think this could be kind of an interesting kind of give and take. But um, after I met you, and you said no, and I, I had tremendous respect for you, I'm like, man, that, that's a special guy. Well, then fast forward, because I never thought in my wildest dreams, I'm going to be working for a CPA firm, never in my wildest dreams. But then I'm in at BGW, and I love it too, because I love the whole working with business owners. I have felt that extreme loneliness of running a company where, you know, everybody says it must suck to be you. Well, sometimes it does, you know, <laughs> and, and it's lonely. It's great. It's exhilarating and it's terrifying and it's lonely at times too, right? So um, as I am looking at how we're growing our business, my mentor, one of the biggest things I ever learned from my mentor was, Gary, I always know where the talent is. Ron Anderson, vice chairman of Bozell Worldwide, that's what he, that's what he knew. Well, I'm like, Adam Boatsman, you are going to hit your limit really soon. He was already probably at his limit. We needed, a, we needed an Adam Boatsman 2.0. Matt Anderson is that Adam Boatsman 2.0. And I'm like, we need a Matt Anderson. We need another really bright, creative, out-of-the-box thinker that's a good guy that has run a business, understands, and has empathy with our client base. So I started like a heat-seeking missile, seeking after you. <laughs> and I'm like, you're the guy. And it was an Ocean's Eleven thing for us. It wasn't, yeah, you had a, a decent book of business and all that, but that wasn't the, the primary thing for us. We, you know, you could go into acquisitions and look at it and, you know, hey, the numbers fit, blah, blah, blah. Look at all these additional synergies and all these uh you know, cost overlaps that we can get rid of, blah, blah, blah. I don't like that uh, approach to mergers and acquisitions. I like cultural compatibility because that's the thing that sticks. After the investment bankers, you know, celebrate and, and cash their checks, the problem with a lot of acquisitions is the cultures are not compatible. And so it starts unraveling and being at least less than ideal than what the deal makers thought it was going to be for you and, and your team in particular, you fit us like a glove. I mean, there was just no ifs, ands, or buts about that, but that was my perspective. So I'm like, I don't know when it'll happen because you were pretty steadfast. Nope. You know, I want to build this thing. I want to do it. Um, and then when the time was right, it was really cool. So I'd like to hear your perspective on, you know, the other side of the table. So when I met Adam, um, that, that, was, that was not my introduction to Adam. I had been stalking him since the days of Boatsman Gilmore. 
And uh, I, had, I had worked with a guy that, that had worked with, with Adam in the past. And so I had stalked Adam on the internet for, for years. And I knew one of the other partners, Jeff Klein, I had probably known Jeff for, for eight years or so. And Jeff and I had always get together maybe once or twice a year just to swap war, war stories. Um, the, the more that I got to know BGW, the more that I wanted to emulate what they were doing. So I would, I would like to say that, that 100% of the idea of me switching to business owner only was, was all on me. I would say that there was some influence from BGW. I remember sitting in the lobby at the, at the office and there was a, some kind of entrepreneur guide or something as I was waiting for Jeff to, to give me the tour. This was six, seven years ago. And I remember going through that and I was like, this is, this is just awesome. Um, so, you know, I, I knew from the beginning well, not from the beginning. I knew if I was ever going to merge or, or be acquired, BGW was, was the one and only candidate for that, just because the business models were so similar. So one of the things that really brought me into BGW and what really excited me is, is a lot of the innovation that we do. So really looking at one of the big things that I wanted to do was put together a course to help clients, to help business owners to be able to, to, to do things on their own. And it's something that you guys were, we were already working on. We, we had the vault. We were putting the content together to be able to put that out there for, for business owners to be able to utilize, to, to grow and, and grow their business, to cut costs, to, to look at any succession planning. BGW was already putting that stuff together. So for, for me, um, I, knew, I knew that BGW would eventually be home. <laughs> And it, it just so happened, I think the stars aligned for me personally, it stars aligned for, for the firm itself, but it's, it's the innovation that, that really brought me over. Um, and, and I would say too, there's some mentorship that, that I look to gain from, from you, Gary, and, and from Adam and, and also from Jeff. And as I've gotten to know more people, there's a lot that I can learn and I look forward to learning. So those are the big things for me is, is just the, the business models fit so well. Um, the culture was, like you said, was really compatible um and it, it just ended up being a good fit for both of us so i got to make one more comment um one thing that a pattern that i have seen with every ceo that i've coached and and the coaches or the ceos that i've admired that i may not have coached that i may have either worked for or that are friends or that i just admire have a similar characteristic that Matt has talked about. And if you've listened to Ben's episode on the Anything But Typical podcast, you've heard it there too. And that is this voracious um, appetite for learning and also learning from other people. You know, one thing that we've seen is, and Adam's in a Vistage uh, meeting today. He's in a Vistage group, you know, I'm in a number of masterminds myself, you know, we all need to learn from one another. And those that feel like, no, I'm, I'm, I've, I've got to be the smartest guy in the room. Uh, I've got it all together. <clears throat> You're not real teachable, typically. And those are not the clients that are attracted to us, nor that we're attracted to either. But um, you accelerate the learning, I think, when you have mentors and you, you seek those out. It, it, it's not a program. You can't just 
make it happen. I think you have to seek out the ones that kind of fit and whatever. So just a little accentuation point of this conversation that is a pattern that I see. And I think it's really cool. And it's another reason we're drawn to you, Matt. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, you, you and Adam, I mean, really pushing again, the innovation piece, but, but also to be pushing marketing. I mean, an accounting firm doing a webinar is, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the CPAs that I know, I mean, they don't even have a website. So, I mean, to, to be doing a webinar, just it, it, it sets the bar so high that there's not a lot of CPA firms that are going to be able to even get close to it. So again, it's, 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 continuing to learn from you guys and with your background, Gary, and, and marketing. I mean, I want to be a sponge. I, I want to absorb as much of that information as I can and, and become better at, at, at really getting our message out there. So, um, but, and again, Adam, uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to start with what I want to absorb from that guy. Um, but, but it's been great uh, to, have, to have you guys just to, to look and, and emulate and follow and just see what we're doing. And I can't wait to see the next chapter. So you've you've been in BGW now for a little bit over a year. Um, you have this idea in your mind and you know about BGW going into the acquisition, right? But sometimes what you have in your mind versus reality aren't always the same. So talk to us a little bit about your experience, your first year inside BGW, no longer running your own firm. You've been acquired, you come in. What has that first year been like for you? Drinking from a fire hydrant. <laughs> <laughs> It is. Uh, it it has been a transition, and I, I'd say you know, with any kind of merger or acquisition, it, it's it's always going to be bumpy. There, you you can never foresee the rough spots. So I would say we we've gotten through those those bumpy rough spots. Um, I'm I'm glad to see those behind me, and it's just really figuring out where I fit, letting it letting things settle in, um, and and really absorbing what I can is to the direction of where we're going. I am super excited about the innovation that we're going to continue to keep pushing here at BGW. I, I think it's the direction of where our industry should go. And I think it's the, I mean, it's going to set us so far apart again from, from any other CPA firm out there. It's, uh, it's just seeing where do I fit? How can I provide value to the firm? And, and really, I want to be an entrepreneur with, within the firm. Like, what are the small things that I can take and I am damn good at that I'm going to help push the firm to move forward? I can't do everything, and I've, I've realized that. But, but what are the things that I can do and what are the th things that I'm exceptionally good at? Those are the things that I want to focus on and, and just keep, keep helping push the mission of the firm because I believe in it 100%, 110%. We're, we're going in a really good direction. So that, that's a piece that we've talked about a few times here on the podcast is the, the intrapreneur, right? So you have the entrepreneur mentality, but you're inside a larger organization with, with a larger goal and you find the rocks that you own and that becomes your entrepreneurship outlet. Have you found that you're getting the same fulfillment of that entrepreneurship that you had from the entrepreneurship of running your own company? Yeah, I, I, I mean, definitely. Um, we we have the freedom to figure out how to solve the problem on our own, um, which is is what I love. Like, I don't want somebody telling me solve this problem, but here are the four steps to solve the problem. Okay, follow our process and solve the problem. Mm -hmm. It's no, here's the problem. 
go figure it out. And for me, it, one of the things that I love to do is, is we've got an issue, let's figure out how to solve this issue. So I, I have the, the flexibility and freedom to figure it out how, how I want to. Um, and, and I love that. So I still get that same fulfillment, but again, it's the, you know, the stuff that just wears you out. Somebody else that's good at dealing with that is now dealing with it. It's, it's not something on me. It gives, it probably gives me more flexibility and freedom to, to really let the brain chew on the things that I've got to work on, um, which is, which is exciting. Yeah. And, and Gary, I want to kick a question over to you real quick about that. And, and it's on the culture side. So how, how do companies, because you've done this multiple times, how do companies create a culture that um, not only supports, but encourages that entrepreneurship type mentality? Well, I always say that management sets the tone and it's the truth. You know, you can, I've been in companies where it's the same company, they switch CEO and all of a sudden the culture shifts. Why? Well, because of what they, not just what they say, but what do they do, what they tolerate, what do they not tolerate? You know, yeah, you still have good people inside there. I've got good friends 20 years later, beyond 20 years later, where we were in a crappy culture, but we're still friends. And, you know, we're still tight, but there's no way you could pay me enough to go back into that culture because it was caustic, right? So it, it really does start with management setting the tone. And if you said it earlier, Matt, where you said you started finding your voice or finding out like what makes you come alive, you know, and that's, it's so simple, but very few people actually take the time to do it. You know, this thrive wither that you're talking about, it's such a simple little exercise. It's a T chart. You write on the left side, thrive, all the stuff that makes you come alive. On the right side, you write all the stuff that makes you wither. Environments, the kind of situations, the kind of responsibilities, etc. And I think you have to do that pretty regularly. I like doing it once a year, but especially if a team is growing fast, if a company's growing fast, that's one of the reasons I like Standout 2.0, this tool that we use. It's a feedback and it's basically a communication tool that takes five minutes a week <laughs> to do, but it just improves and it speeds up the cadence of communication to where you start seeing if, man, these things are just wearing me out. Well, wait a minute, that's a warning light on the dash that's blinking at you for a reason. And if you pay attention to it, doesn't mean you're a failure. It means that you're probably spending too much time in your wither zone. And there's somebody in the firm, and one of the things that's a blessing of having a little bit of a bigger firm or more than just a solopreneur is you've got more resources to be able to counterbalance and figure out because some of the stuff that makes you wither, Matt, probably makes me come alive. So, right. you know, taking some of the stuff that, that just drains your tank actually fuels mine. There's synergy there. It's, it's like the hybrid, you know, where you're hitting the brakes, but it's putting more energy back into the battery. Wow, yeah. that's pretty cool. And I think so, it's, I think it's funny. Yeah, I mean, I, I paid 
throughout the time that I own my firm, I mean, well over a hundred thousand dollars in business coaches and, you know, everybody that's supposed to help you, you know, figure out how to make your business better. But a 15 minute call with Gary and, you know, another 10 minutes of writing this freaking thrive wither thing out. I mean, it, it, to me, it just, it, it, it took the veil off. Like <laughs> I don't have to be good at everything that makes me wither. Um, and, and I guess I had never thought about what were the things that I just, I couldn't stand doing. I, I had never thought about that. And again, with all the business coaches and everything that I had out there, nobody had ever asked the question. Um, it, it just, I don't know. It, <laughs> it changed, it changed my life. It changed my views. Um, and it was less than 30 minutes. Yeah. Something so simple and yet so <laughs> purposeful. Right. So right. our kind of journeys have been very similar. I joined or I took over BGW well two months after you joined BGW and it started with Gary and I talking and then Gary having me go through the thrive weather and things like that. So it's, I think Gary's got a little bit of a blueprint that he knows what to pull out or how to pull things out of people. Right. So it's clearly worked for both of us. Like the gateway drug. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, Born out of uh, finding my partner's uh, improprieties. <laughs> that's that's what, because I had to leave my own company, you know? And so I had to do the same thing at the ripe old age of 30 <laughs> or 30. Yeah, I guess I was 30, 31, 32. Uh, I had to go through the same thing, um, you know? And failure is a great teacher. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So Matt, I want to go back to something you had talked about earlier when you said you wanted to build a lifestyle business, but you were building a growth business, right? And what you've done, and it sounds like you've been extremely purposeful about this over the last two years or so of creating your life to fit the things that are most important to you, right? Being able to get up to the mountains with, with your wife or with family or friends or things like that and mountain bike, or being able to have dinner with family and stuff like that. So what have you what have you done or seen over these last couple of years to reprioritize your life or structure your life in a way to where those priorities are the things that you're able to do and not put to the wayside? So I would I would like to take full credit for this, um, but it, but honestly, I can't. Uh, I think COVID was was one of those life changing moments. So in March, of I think it was like March 16th of 2020, this was back when I was running my own firm, we went remote. Um, I had a had an office lease through December of, of 2020. I, I knew I wasn't going back. So I think COVID was one of the big catalysts that said that that two hours that you're driving a day times five to six days a week, that's 10 to 12 hours of your life back. Um, what, I, what I did with that time is, is, is I made it a priority, you know, for me to mountain bike, for me to hike, for me to run, I've got to be in better shape. So I use that time in the morning. That's my exercise time. I'm up at 5.15 in the morning. I get an hour's worth of workout every day. And then I'm ready to start the day. I get the kids on the bus and, and, and the day begins. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing is, is being remote, stop working at 6.30, 7. I'm downstairs eating dinner. And there's no commute that has to happen. So I would say that one of the blessings of COVID, at least for, for me and my family, has, has been that, that extra time. And, and it's really remote work has done that. Um, for, for the mountain, mountain bike aspect, 
you know, I, when it's springtime, we make it a priority. We, we ride on Fridays. Uh, the, the kids are, are now into it. So we do a family bike ride on Sundays. Anytime I have a free moment, I'm, I'm going to be out on my bike doing something, whether it's on the trainer downstairs or I'm actually in the woods, I'm, I'm going to be riding. And uh, again, just, you know, I can, I can run, I can step out the door and, and take a run. And all of this has been really facilitated by remote work. Um, and, you know, one of the things that's kind of dawned on me is, is, is I've done self-reflection through this year is it to me is defining what wealth is to me and wealth to me is autonomy to have the freedom and flexibility to kind of, you've got your responsibilities that you have to get done, but I want the autonomy to be able to do what I want to do. And again, you know, with, with the culture at BGW, the structure that we have and the ability to do the remote work, I have that. Um, so it's, it's now going to be a continued process of making sure clients settle in, we get the right people on the team and it's, it, and it's an eventual, you know, it's, it's progress to, to get towards that. But man, I'd say in the past two years, it, my life has changed you know, drastically and I really look forward to, to what the future holds, but I need to be intentional. So those, those nuances, and, and I want the listeners to really be able to pay attention and hear this, those nuances are, are all the difference, right? COVID happened to everybody, but what you did with those extra hours reshaped your life. And we know, all three of us, I'm sure, know lots of people that everybody, or that they had people who went through COVID and it was dramatically worse for their life. For one reason or another, they couldn't handle the extra time or it exposed something or whatever it was. But the nuances that you talked about there of you have this extra time, what can I do to make this a positive in my life and make myself healthier, make myself happier, things like that. I think that is, I mean, I've used the word purposeful a couple of times, but that's what keeps coming to mind. because It's so purposeful. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it, I mean, we struggled with it. I mean, everybody did. And, and I don't, you know, I, I don't downplay, I mean, lots of folks have lost their lives and it's impacted millions of people negatively, but we, you, you've got to look at really, how can you use this to change your life? And, and for me, you know, it, it did, um, it, it, it opened my eyes to the possibility that remote work for what we do is, is possible. You don't need an office space. Um, it, it really opened my eyes to that. And, and I look at that, I mean, that's the blessing um, that there, there are, there are a lot of, of, again, there's a lot of bad stuff that happened, but that's, that's a silver lining. Yep. Yeah. You, you say we don't need an office space and we've got some prime real estate in South end that we pay a lot of money for 15,000 square feet. Now I will say I like going into the office. I'm there usually one day a week still, but I love the flexibility too. And we had flexibility before, but we had to have even more flexibility as soon as we went into lockdown on March the 16th. March 13th, Friday the 13th, 2020 was the last day in the office, meeting with clients, doing dinners, doing lunches, doing breakfast, all that kind of stuff that day. Um, and I, you know, it's interesting. So yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about what you've seen work and what is, we're still trying to figure it out. I mean, I don't think that we've got it mastered at all. We're struggling with how do you keep the culture when you're so, you know, 
disparately located. You know, I could go in even on the days that I go in and we're, you know, a fourth of the people are there. And now that Omicron has been raging, it's, you know, you know, exacerbated again. But, you know, from your perspective, what do you, what do you think is working in having that knowing that, you know, I'm happiest when I'm on my bike and in, in trees, but you're also a great team player. Both of you guys are quite frankly. Um, what are the things that are, I don't, I don't even want to say best practices, but some things that are working that a listener may listen to and go, Oh, that's a pretty good idea. We ought to think about doing that. So I would say, uh, I don't think you need an office, but you do need interaction. Um, and I think the human, it can't be through Zoom. It can't be through any Teams meeting. You actually need the physical human interaction. Um, so like, like you said, Gary, I mean, I go into the office uh, once a week. You know, I'll, I'll probably go up or down depending on, you know, how tax season goes and all that. But I think one of the things that, that I think that we've missed and one of the things that disappeared when you re work remotely is we don't have water cooler talk. You don't just pick up the phone and say, you know, hey, Gary, how was your weekend? It's more texts on, you know, here's the client, here's this, here's that. So one of the things that I've done with, with our team is, I mean, I'll, I'll call them just, hey, how you doing? I, I don't want to talk about anything. How's the kids? How was the weekend? So one of the things, we I've got an employee that works with me that lives in Alabama. So one of the best things that I've done is pick up the phone. Hey, Jill, you know, how you doing? Um, and, and just talking to her. And I, she was with me at my practice before, and now she came in. I mean, I would say our relationship is better than it's ever been, but it's, it's because I'm actually being intentional about talking to her and just having an, a relationship outside of do this, do that, do this. So again, I think, you know, we had an amazing Christmas party this year at BGW. It was a ton of fun. We had the crazy Christmas sweater. I, I love that. And just seeing everybody and the smiles and, and we just got to relax. So I think having intentional time where we can see each other face to face, we, you know, making sure that we're taking the proper protocols, um, having the ability to go into the office if you do need to interact with somebody. Um, and then I think just being 100% intentional that we're not robots, we're humans, and we've got to have that human connection. And I think those those things, I see this as something that we could do indefinitely. And, and to be fair, the difference between you two is Gary is much more extroverted, right? So the more he's around people, the more energy he has. So there, there's that piece of the flexibility of it too, is you need the interaction, but some people need it more than others. And so that, that flexibility to fit everybody's personality I think is going to be also a bigger trend that companies realize is, is a big asset. Correct. Correct. And I would say social gatherings, you know, I'll, you know, we'll get, go to a bar or something after a taxi. I mean, I see Gary floating around like a butterfly talking to everybody, the energy, this is just like, just emanating off of him. Um, I like to go to those, but it's more, you know, I like to have more one-on-one -on -one conversations. Gary's in 12 at the same time, but I think it meets the needs for both of us. Because again, I get to talk to other people. I get to build the relationships. Um, Gary gets to get that energy and 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 go just <laughs> shine like a light bulb. But it does give us that, and and I think having those type of opportunities is huge. Yep. Yeah, I agree. 
Um, this has been a ton of fun. I've learned some things that, that I didn't know either, which is great. So selfishly, I, I enjoyed that. Um, any, any final thoughts, Gary, before we sign off here? He, Matt, you had a lot of good um, nuggets of wisdom and one-liners in there, but uh, this, this last one that I wrote down, we don't need an office, but we do need human interaction. That's a money line right there. That's so true. So yeah. really, really good. Um, and being intentional about, about that. So Matt, thank you so much for, um, I'm so glad that I get to actually selfishly work with you guys, both of you. <laughs> yeah, I've got a, a client uh, conversation with Matt later on today. So yep. That's nice. Yep. I'm, I'm yeah, glad I'm that, here. That's, that was probably the, the, the most wonderful part about running a business for me was being able to pick my teammates being really intentional about the people that I wanted on the team, because I actually, yeah, I need, you know, Michael Jordan needed Dennis Rodman, right? <laughs> you know, we, we need people that are different from our, ourselves that have different things, but I also like to have those people that are different from me, uh, people that I actually like spending time with. <laughs> so <laughs> you guys are both a result of that. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, thank anyway, you, Gary, thank for the Matt. thrive with her. <laughs> right. Yeah. And thank you, Matt, for coming on. I appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll put links in the show notes for people to be able to connect to you on LinkedIn and uh, and check you out through BGW. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs>